This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Drew. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Great Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into... Episode 57 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian D. Felice, joined by Scott McLaughlin and Bridget Prue. And it's been, I would say, about a month since we last uh, had a podcast. So, how are We're you guys tanner. doing? Huh? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Brian yeah. cut his hair. Cut my hair. No more man bun. No more man I already bun. moved past the sunburn phase of the of the summer. So I don't know, Scott. You got a little still. <laughs> well, I walked into the studio and I thought I was a Greek god I was looking at, but then I just realized it was Scott. So, <laughs> you know, looking good in the summertime here, but... <laughs> Um, yeah, so, I mean, there's some, you know, not a ton, but a little bit of off-season news to catch up on. Obviously, um, we'll be discussing the, uh, the expansion draft, which is, uh, what, a week away? Two weeks away? Yeah, so, uh, the protection lists are due Saturday, and then the actual expansion draft is, uh, next Wednesday. Yep. Um. July 21st. 21st, yeah. So, yeah, so we'll be discussing that. Um, also we'll be talking to... Chris Peters, uh, who runs Hockey Sense and is, in my mind, one of the premier draft gurus, just knows all these prospects much better than I do, I think much better than any of us do. So yeah, so we're going to be bringing him on to talk some NHL draft and figure out, hey look, the Bruins actually have a first round pick this year, Uh, only the second time in the last four years, they're picking 20th overall, so let's you know try to figure out what kind of players are going to be available for them there. Yeah, and... And exactly, it's a it's a very important draft uh, upcoming. Like you said, they haven't had a ton of first rounders the last handful of years, and the ones that they have had, they haven't all panned out too well. And um, if you're a Bruins fan thinking, well, it's not a top ten pick, don't get too excited. Um, the the Lightning, you know, during their playoff run, their entire top six, they were all second rounders and further down. So like, you can get um, you can get some some diamonds in the rough. In the NHL draft, and we'll talk to Chris about how deep of a draft pool it is and whatnot. But um, there is some Bruins news that broke today. If you guys want to dive into that, Kevin Miller announced his retirement, and the Bruins signed uh, Brandon Carlo, who was a, a UFA, uh, RFA. RFA. Yeah. So they got that taken care of. If you guys wanted to talk about that for a bit, yeah. So look, we knew Carlo was going to be staying. We knew he wasn't going anywhere. Uh, they were going to get him signed at some point. It's just a matter of. What kind of deal would it be? When would it get done? Well, it gets done today. It gets done ahead of the expansion draft, which isn't a big deal. He was going to be one of the three defensemen you're protecting anyways, so it doesn't dramatically alter any planning there. Uh, and it's a six-year deal with an annual cap hit of $4.1 million, which I think if you if you had been predicting what Carlos deal would look like, you might have guessed a year less and maybe a little more money per year. But overall, I'd say that's that's a really fair deal. It locks him up through his age thirty season, so covers his prime years, and four point one million is is affordable. It's certainly affordable now. Yeah, and you if could, Carlo, you... you know, continues to be your the anchor of your second pairing, then it's going to look really affordable th- three or four years from now when you know a player like that might be worth 
five, five and a half, depending on how much the cap eventually goes up. Obviously, right now we're still in a flat cap environment. But, um, yeah, I think it's a good deal. Obviously, there's going to be injury questions, and that'll be, you know, a big thing we can get into. It was a big thing he was asked about today. But, you know, those are the chances. Like, either you're committing to him or you're not. You're not – he's not – even with the injuries, he's not at a point in his career where he's going to take, like, a one- or two-year bridge deal. So It was always the plan to, yeah. to keep him here and, and to lock him down. And that he took a pretty – I mean, you could call it a team-friendly contract for sure because if you think about what other teams would be offering for Carlo – I would imagine that they would have been willing to pay more than that, um, but he wants to stay here. And they got like a six-year deal. That's You really have to be confident in someone to, to lock him down six years, and I don't see why you wouldn't. No issue with it. You know, he's not going to age like too much in that time. Like you mentioned, he'll be here till he's 30 based on this deal. I think it's a good deal for the Bruins, and you're right. He did have to discuss his health. First of all, he had to discuss the concussion and how he was feeling after that. He said he's for about a month and a half, he's been feeling great. Like he's feeling like he's ready to go, not back on the ice quite yet. Um, but that was just a because it's an off season thing, just training off ice. But yeah, yeah I think uh, if he really is as healthy as he says he is, and I don't think he has like the kind of lingering injuries that Kevin Miller has. He just kind of has like those bad luck injuries where he gets one, you know, one a year. But that a lot of the times that's some of his injuries have been unavoidable. It's not like a nagging knee injury like Kevin Miller has had. Yeah, obviously the concern is just that anytime you have multiple concussions, that starts to pile up and it starts to become a concern of is that going to threaten your career? And he's had yeah. Now three documented ones. And they were and, bad ones, too. They weren't just, you know, yeah. like a few games And we're pretty and there. sure there was a fourth just before the bubble in 2020, just before the season went on pause, actually. Um, he took, like, an elbow to that head that people are pretty sure was a concussion, but never actually got, like, reported on the record, I guess, because the season basically went on break, like, right after that. So no one had to talk about it. Um so, yeah, I mean, that's concerning, but, you know, if when you listen to Carlo, he talked about, like, how he's learned through these experiences and learned about his mind and, like, how to recover from this stuff and, imp- most importantly, how to, like, avoid it, how to just put yourself in better positions, better, you know, brace for contact. And that is something that, like, he has to work on because, look, Tom Wilson leaping into your head, like, that's just... You're never going to be prepared for that. Like, if a guy wants to leap at your head while you're tied up with another player, then, yeah, you're probably going to get a concussion. But something like the Cal Clutterbuck hit, that's, you know, a guy coming in hard on the forecheck, throwing a clean hit, and Carlo just got caught in a bit of an awkward position and ends up going, you know, hits his head against the glass. Uh, that's the kind of thing where it's like there are ways to position yourself, brace yourself, know it's coming, and hopefully be able to avoid that next time. Um it is encouraging to hear Kylo say he feels great, uh, you know, like hasn't had any issues, all that. But there's always going to be nervousness there uh, the next time he takes a big hit, the next time, you know, he's up against the boards and it looks like, no, did his head hit the glass type thing. But, you know, that's hockey and like he's going to have to learn how to avoid those. And the Bruins are obviously going to have to hope that he doesn't suffer another one or a another bad one or two more or whatever. Um, you know, one thing I think of is, like, Patrice Bergeron had serious concussion issues early in his career. 
to the point where that was like almost career threatening. Krejci's had a few over over a few years, not not recently as much, but he's had a few that were yeah. pretty bad too. So there are some guys like I'm sure you're getting to that just were able to kind of change the way they play a little bit and keep themselves a little well, bit Krejci safer. Well, realized to stay away from the, the stanchion after an overtime goal. <laughs> <laughs> also true, yeah. That's how to avoid those injuries. But yeah, so so the point with Bergeron is like guys can just because someone has had multiple concussions early in their careers doesn't mean their career is ending in the next year or two. Some guys won't suffer another one or will never suffer another major one that forces them to miss significant time. So obviously the Bruins, by giving Carlos six years, are betting on that being the case with him. I'm glad you brought up uh, what you did about him learning from uh, not just how to deal with having a concussion and the symptoms that come with it in recovery, but um, putting himself in situations because um, the difference between like Bergeron and Carlo is that um, as a centerman, Bergeron's not you know the first back into his zone with four checkers you know, and if you look at Carlo's injuries and some freak, some unfortunate, like, but the commonality between all of them is it seems to be puck retrieval um, beneath the goal line. Um, the one with Ovechkin, like back in 2017, the last game of the season, I mm-hmm. believe was something similar. The Wilson hit, you're right. He was tied up with another player, couldn't see him coming. But the Clutterbuck hit, puck retrieval. Like, Johnny Boychuk used to do it a lot when he was with the Bruins, where, like, he would go retrieve a puck, and he would elect to take the hit and eat the puck on the board rather than give the puck away. And sometimes that's a great play. Other times it makes you vulnerable. And um, So hopefully for Carlo, yeah, he just needs to learn. And sometimes that's better communication with the goalie and your defense partner and, and um, your own forwards, like, letting him know who's coming and stuff like that. So, um, But as far as the deal is concerned, it's a great deal for the Bruins. Every time he's earned every penny when he's healthy and on the ice, and I think his, his game is slowly growing offensively, uh, and he's obviously good defensively. So I think that the, the term and the, and the uh, AAV is great for the Bruins and for Carlo, and he's definitely a mainstay um, on their back end. He's 24 Right. Yep. And so, yeah, health permitting, it's a great move for them. Yeah. And I think it's also encouraging uh, hearing Carlos asked about, like, what kind of D partner he likes or kind of sees himself with going forward. Because obviously that's an area the Bruins are looking to address, figuring out who's next to McAvoy, who's next to Carlo. Um, and Carlo talked about how, like, he wants a partner that not just his partner can skate and move the puck but a partner where they can combine to skate and move the puck and get involved offensively. Like he doesn't see himself as just a shutdown defenseman, which is good because he's not, as you mentioned, like he's shown an ability to, to move with the puck, to make, to be involved in transition, passing, skating, get involved a little bit in the offensive zone, even had, you know, a couple goals this season on nice shots inside the blue line. Um, So like that's in his game. And so to hear him express, a desire to be involved that way and see himself on more of a dynamic peer pairing rather than, uh, you know, just one that's going to get a bunch of D zone starts, spend time in their zone, just try to clear it out, clear out the front of the neck kind of thing. Like that's good too. Exactly. Bridget, you had a thought on him? No, I, I think that though this, the, the, the two pieces of news that came out today, the Brandon Carlo stuff and the Kevin Miller stuff, they both kind of, well, first of all, they they answer two questions that the Bruins uh, we needed to know about the Bruins um, heading in during the off season and heading into the expansion draft and heading 
into uh, the regular draft as well, which is who who is going to be back there, who is going to be healthy. Obviously, there were questions about whether or not Miller was going to retire or not, uh, even at the end of the I, at seasons past because of his health concerns. And uh, do you guys think that it was time for him? Do you think the Bruins would rather have had him stick around maybe one more season because of the – we talk about their depth. I was under the impression that even if he couldn't contribute every single game, that maybe he could have still added value in the game because he was a better number five or six defenseman than what they're going to have um, if they – and assuming they don't – like with the roster they have now, assuming they don't pick up someone else, which we'll get to later. Uh I think it probably was time, unfortunately. I think this season was just so tough for Miller because obviously these last couple of years have been extremely tough for him, and he's had so many setbacks and needed so many surgeries. And he finally thought he was healthy or you know healthy enough going into this season. He legitimately expected to play like every game or close to it. Uh, he really thought like he was over the hill. It's just like over like the obstacles that he had to overcome and was past that and was like on the other side of it. And it turned out he wasn't like it flared up. He had issues. He had to miss quite a bit of time. You missed like several weeks in a row at one point. Uh, Had to sit practices, morning skates, couldn't play back to backs. And then obviously like there's the freak concussion that ends up ending his postseason, which is Miller didn't in his post to Instagram didn't specify like whether it was the knee concussion or both. Um, but after the season, he had said he was just about cleared from the concussion. Yeah, there were questions he, of whether or not he'd be able to come back. Yeah, he thought he might be able series. to play Game Seven, and then and then if they had made it into the next round, then he would have been cleared. Yeah, so I took it to mean it's it's his knee. Like that's when he references, you know, his. Uh, what, however he put it, like the spirit's still there, but his body's not. Uh, I He meant his knee. And I just think he realized throughout this season that it just wasn't going to get to the place where he needed it to be and wanted it to be, where he was going to be able to play every day, play a whole season. Um, and obviously, like, that sucks. You know, 33 is, yeah, it's on the older side in hockey, but a lot of players play past that now. And uh, so it it stinks for him to have his career ended that way. It's obviously not how he wants it to end. Um, and it sucks that he went through all that work and was so determined to get back for really two years mm. and only to have it end up not being good enough. But, you know, even if he had wanted to play, look, if the Bruins signed him as like a seventh defenseman, that's all he was, Maybe. But one of their mistakes this past season was depending on him to be on their third pairing. Like, that was going to be a tough ask. And obviously they were as sold as he was on the medicals. Uh, and it cost them. Like, they they needed him to be able to be there every day. And ultimately he wasn't able to be. Yeah, they put their eggs in that basket. But that's because he's a different type of defenseman than anyone else they have on the team. And that's the kind of defenseman that they need. So it with him leaving, it kind of begs the question, like, how will they replace him? Or at least how will they replace needing someone of that physica- like physicality level, that size, that mentality? Because 
from what it sounds like, including in the locker room, like his his mentality and how he went about like trying to come back from his injury was, you know, he, he just had to be so strong headed and, and he was well liked. And and aside from that, even with his injuries, he was willing to go out and fight and, you know, put his body on the line even still. He didn't really play with that kind of hesitation. Now, they're going to need somebody to come in and, and bring that kind of mentality again. There's no one on the current roster that can do that. So how do they address that that need now that he's gone? Yeah, it's it's. I don't know if they can, to be honest. Uh, he's a he's – a, he uh, – I think the Bruins – planned on him playing a little bit longer um, I, I I got the same impression not not so much like post this season I more so mean like when they decided to you know they wanted him um when they when they went their separate ways from 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 Chara I think they said to, them, to themselves well this sucks you know that we couldn't figure something out with Z you know it is what it is but at least we have Millsy too um and I'm talking like them I wouldn't call him Millsy but that's what they're saying Sweens is over there talking to Neely saying well you know Millsy they wanted Miller to sit there and be like that veteran guy for the next two, three years if he was healthy to really help those younger kids come along and grow into their own. I think Carlo's done a great job of. I think he's ready to step up and be that. He'll, he's yeah. now the veteran on the blue line, but which is which is crazy because I mean that means like he's younger than I am. Okay, so like he's he's twenty four and yeah. he's the veteran. But yeah. but that actually brings it back to. Losing Miller is more than just losing a guy that was inconsistently playing and had a hurt knee. Like there's so much more they're losing right. with with him leaving. And now you're right, they're without a veteran cool. really back there, and they got all young, like low twenty year olds um, who have learned from some of the best veterans that they could have um, yeah. on on the blue line. But yeah, it, it takes away from that because I mean they have some forwards that are very well respected and veterans, but. In terms of defensemen, yeah, you need somebody who's been there and, and goes through the similar emotions. But like, it's more than just him being a locker room guy and somebody who can stick up for his teammates on the ice. And I mean, pound for pound, he's probably the toughest guy in the league. Uh, like, you know, and but it's more than that. I thought he was great this year when he was on the ice. Like, he, I did too. His his skating, you know, where there are I thought three he turnovers. Was fine. I thought uh, that he he was better than I expected. Given 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 the injury, given who he is, his age. And how young and fast the league is these days. I feel like his he the, the, he didn't really hurt you much. I mean, he skating speed wise, he's he's fine. I just didn't think he hurt you. But um, as far as his decision to leave, I think you more so are going to miss his toughness. There's there is he's the last of a like the the big bad Bruins really. I mean, Bergeron is is a tough guy as far as what he's able to take and continue to play through. But as far as like fighting goes, if somebody wants to push the Bruins around next year. Um, you know, Richie being back is not a guarantee. Frederick, you know, he's he's not going to put fear into anybody. So you, you're going to miss him. I just think that Miller deciding to retire was more precautionary. I think he just, I think he did what was best for himself and his family, and I think he'd rather walk away from the game um, still in good shape and relatively good health as opposed to limping away in a few years or worse. Yeah, I guess like... Look at, uh, look at Scott being being a hard, being harsh on on Kevin Miller. Yeah, he was okay. He was yeah, but, no, but here here okay. I, but when you say that though, like we're talking about in comparison, like well, he's not. We're not talking about in comparison to Kale McCarr. We're talking right. about in comparison to some of the other guys that they had as options this year because they they were dealing with you know the Zaborals and like yeah. Well, do, so would you I rather guess, have had so him I'm out looking, there or or you know 
XYZ from the 14 so, defensemen that they had right. to. So I'm looking forward more than I guess because, uh, yeah, fine. If you want to say he's better than Zaboral, Lozon, Cl- like, great. The Bruins need to upgrade their defense going into next season. So I'm not worried about losing Kevin Miller all that much because in my mind I was upgrading my blue line anyways. Like if if the Bruins don't do that, if Dunstan doesn't do that, he should probably be fired. Like if they don't have a better decor next year than they did this year, if they go into next year being like, well, we hope Lozon Zaboral or uh, Vakaninen breaks through, like no, you just tried that and it failed. So let's go get someone. And I guess this will bring me now to jumping into like some some offseason speculation stuff. But you need a top four left shot defenseman. Cam Neely himself identified that as like the biggest need. He said that elusive left D. Uh, there are top four left shot defensemen out there who have also been there and done that and are leaders. And I'm specifically referring to Alec Martinez, who is. One of, if not the top Ugh. free agent defenseman, uh, had a great postseason for Vegas, has won two cups with the, the LA Kings, and I am referring to someone who just got bought out by the Minnesota Wild, Ryan Suter, who I think won't be super cheap, but I think will end up being fairly affordable because he's probably just looking to go to a team that's going to compete for a cup because he's never won one, uh, and he's still getting paid by the Wilds after being bought out. So it's not like he really needs top dollar. He's still collecting a nice salary from them. So I would be interested in both of them. I don't – I think Alec Martinez is – there's going to be quite a bidding war for him. Uh, that may end up with the Bruins priced out. Suter is interesting. Look, he's not the defenseman he was in his prime. He's not going to finish top 10 in Norris voting if he comes here. But can he be a really solid top four defenseman for you? Yeah, I think – he can still be that. I think he was that this year in Minnesota. Uh, he's not as strong defensively as he once was. He's not really a shutdown D. But if you're putting him with McAvoy or Carlo, those guys are strong enough to def- defensively that they can cover some of that up. And I think Suter still gives you something in terms of getting forward, in terms of transition. Uh, he can contribute offensively. He, last season, he is he a did. veteran leader. He didn't do much and last season. Though. Most importantly, he he stays healthy. Like we're talking about all these injuries the Bruins keep suffering on defense. Ryan Suter has missed a total of twelve games in the last ten years. Uh, so that is where I would go next. The Bruins, I think, need to upgrade their defense, anyways, specifically on the left side. And you can also potentially add a nice veteran presence while mm. doing it. I like I like the um, the Suter idea. I mean, I like Suter in general. I've always yeah. been a fan of, of, of Suter's, and I mentioned to both of you that I follow the Wild pretty closely for whatever reason. I just picked up, like, picked them as my, you know, team to watch after the Eastern East Coast uh, games stopped, you know, finished up. But I've watched him for a long time. I've always been impressed with how he plays. The problem is I might be at the cliff conversation with him. Is he going to have a worse season last year where he only ended up with 19 points as compared to what he's been having in the past, which is 50 or at least around 50 points per season? Or are we going the other way? 
Are, is it only going to get worse from here? That's the question. That's why you need to be able to work out a deal where you know you're not locked in long, like for a long contract, no, and you're definitely I think like not two locked years in. Is what I have in mind. Yeah, I just think that there's other defensemen uh, on the Bruins roster right now where you could rely on for for the, for the points. For, if you're bringing in Suter, I'm not. I don't even think you need him to come in and be a huge score on the back end. I just think you need him to be. You know what? You know what the expression. Uh, you know. You know what kiss means. You know what the acronym. Stands for kiss. Keep it stupid simple. That's what I've never heard that, but okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Suter kisses real well. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> he keeps it stupid simple. He he's a very very um, smart player, and the Bruins could use that. Martinez, I I think he has bust written all over him. He he to me seems like the kind of guy. He had a really good playoff. I know, this year. And, and, and what's even better he's is generally just been really good. What's even better is that. Um, he was hurt too, so mm-hmm. I'm not saying I, I like Martinez. I just feel like he's like that prize guy that people are going to go after, and then he's just not going to be what he was before. I just I don't want to overpay for him. Maybe we'll play back this tape later, and Brian will Brian will have to be like, "Well, guys, I was I was wrong." Sometimes about he tries that. to do too much. He does. Yeah, he, but he, he does. He, he doesn't kiss. Oh um, well, he's a totally different style of player. <laughs> but he he's been somebody that like is a good playoff hockey player. And he's been consistent. He was one of the main reasons that the Kings won. I think it was their last Stanley Cup that the Kings uh, won. He was a big part of that run. He scored the championship <sighs> winning years goal. Ago. It was a, it was a while ago, but he's still playing well. He still played yeah. well in this playoffs, like I said. Yeah. I mean, he's good. He's a good player. I think he will help the Bruins. I, I, and I'm not going to be upset if they get him. I'm just – I look at the Bruins and I look at, like, Tampa and, like, yeah, Hedman and McDonough, like, they're all world players – um, but I do think that the Bruins need to have some size in the back end too. And mm. that that's not something that Suter nor Martinez really have a ton of. Jamie Alexiak? Honestly, as a, as a number six, why not? Or well, if, he would be more than that. Jamie Alexiak's top four. So he, yeah, he's going to la- get top four money. Last year he was, but I don't know if that's what he will be long, like forever. Well, that's what he's going to get paid at. So like, if, if you're going to look at him, like that's, he's well, got to yeah, I mean, play that role I just I, like I don't know, like... um. Like I want the Bruins to have a defense that's obviously mobile and, and and um you know creative and offensive, but like when you watch the teams that can keep their their um opponents to the outside with, with whether it's with their um their sticks or like their ability to just take up size and uh, you know space out there, like when you watch the Islanders against the Bruins, you know Pelic and Pollock and Mayfield, like these guys like they made the ice seem smaller as a Bruins fan watching and then when you're when you're watching other teams go at the Bruins and it's like they're going at Grizzlick and you know like it just cliffed in it just seems like it's easier for them to penetrate the Bruins zone so I think that's something the Bruins need to address and I'm not saying not to go after Martinez or Suter um but I just I, I like to see them get some more size you know yeah I just think it's the teams that have decors that have built that way have I think really done it mostly through development, or at least in in yeah. large part through development, and yeah. that's just not going to be an overnight project. So, sure, like the Bruins can go out and get a bigger defenseman and add some size, and uh, you know, but like, and it's not just size. Like Tenorti's yeah, obviously they, they a big need guy. To be, they need to be mobile. Like Tenorti was Tenorti was six six seven. It's yeah, like, I'm, and he didn't really, you know, he was fine for what he was. But I'm not just saying to get somebody that's tall. Obviously, that's not what I mean. Yeah, you know, yeah. The, Look, the the best decors in the NHL today are big and mobile. So like that's that's what everyone's going for. Like that's the, that's the new puck moving defenseman is big mobile. Uh, the problem is, is that obviously it's a lot easier said than done. 
and the Bruins don't really have the prospects coming up who are like that. Um, you know, I, th- I think they hope, and even Lausanne, like Bruce Cassidy talks about like Lausanne as like being a size guy and someone who has some physicality and he does, but he's six for one. It's not like he's like huge out there either. So I just don't think, I guess I'm just looking for players who are going to make my decor better. And if they happen to be bigger, whether, you know, Alexiak six, seven, great. But if they're not, and my options are someone who's six feet, six one, six two, like that's fine too. If they're not the most physical, fine. If they're gonna make my team better, then I want them because I just think the Bruins need need clear improvements on defense after this past season. And I'm not gonna be too too picky about what form that comes in because I don't really think they have the luxury of being able to be picky and say like, well, we want, you know, six, four, we want Matias Eckholm. Like Matias Eckholm checks all the boxes. That's still, that would be the dream candidate if he's available. I don't know if he's going to be like, we, we don't know if Nashville is even going to put him on the block. If they are, now would be the time because he has one year left, but they might say, you know what? We finished last season pretty strong. We want to try to keep some of this core together and, and, you know, see what we can do here. Did you, did you tweet out that, um, was it you that tweeted that that Suter had missed like twelve games in the last ten yeah. seasons or something like that? Yes. Is that what the number was? Yeah. I mean that's that's like the best availability is what the hell is it saying? Best ability is availability. Thank you. <laughs> that but that but that's a huge that's a huge like bonus. So that's why uh, he would definitely be the one for me. And then people are talking about this guy from Carolina, and he also played in Arizona. Yeah, Yanni Hockenpa. He was in Anaheim before. Yeah. Yeah. So they acquired him at the trade deadline. I think he'd be. So, especially since we were just talking about Miller leaving, like, and they might, Bruins might potentially lose Connor Clifton in the expansion draft. Um, my guess is, you know, we can do expansion draft stuff in a little bit, but my guess is they're going to lose Clifton or Jeremy Lozon, uh, I think are the two most likely candidates. So if you lose Clifton, then you definitely need like a, another right shot defenseman um, to go on that third pairing or be a depth guy if it ends up being like maybe you move Lausanne over to the right side or whatever. Um, Hockenpah, I think, is fine in that role, and he is very physical. Like That is one thing he will definitely bring. Um, I think he's somewhat limited. He brings almost no offense to the table. So, yeah, like that's that's fairly close to like a one-for-one Miller replacement in terms of style. Um, but you, you said you won't wanted an improvement so like that's not no but uh, so I guess but if I'm so I'm mostly looking at improvement in my top four so I'm I'm thinking of that left shot top four defenseman as my number one target on defense so if I do that then I'm fine plugging in third pairing right side with kind of whatever's left like I I don't think the Bruins need to go and spend a lot of money on the right side because you have McAvoy and Carlos so just find someone solid enough, like in that third pairing role. And if that ends up being someone like Hockenpah, like that's fine. If it's Hockenpah and Lozon or Hockenpah and, yeah. and Clifton splitting time, like, we can't, we can, whatever. We can't, we can't, the Bruins can't sign him because I'll just think of Hagen Dawes <laughs> ice cream all the time. Now, <laughs> so we can't do that. But I mean, yeah, it, it, you know, you mentioned how Tampa does a lot, a lot except for McDonough, um, through drafting and developing. And that's, that's really the, the key to success. Um, so that's when it's frustrating, you know. It's get the Bruins don't really have it. Um, 
So they have to go external with, with this fix. And unless they draft somebody ready right away with the first round this year, but I don't see that happening because they're probably going to draft up front as they should. Um, and also, by the way, how do you guys feel about – this is kind of off the topic, but uh, somebody that the Bruins traded away for Rick Nash is now a candidate to be the captain of the New York Rangers, Ryan Lindgren. He would be – Turns out he would have been great on the Bruins decoy. Yeah, you know that's lo- and his personality is just is that they, tough guy, like a little bit yeah. crazy kind of personality. They, he would have been great in I look in retrospect. Like I think we all would have still done that deal because the maybe I mean the, Rick Nash was somebody the Bruins needed. They had a good team. Crazier things have happened that year. They could have gone far. And then he, you know the concussions just you know sucked, but in hindsight, it's when you you really kick yourself over because Lindgren is you watch him play and you're like, wow, they really need someone like that. Oh wait, they had him. Okay, yeah. So, and, and I don't know if like anyone really thought he was gonna end up becoming that. Like I, I think we everyone did, thought, like, but that's their job yeah. to try to figure you know know that, not our job. You know, like True, these guys it, get paid good money. You know, they might and, not have even thought that. I mean. I don't know. I, I think Lindgren has exceeded a lot of people's expectations. Like, I think most people thought he was going to be third pairing guy. Yeah. And now he's on the Rangers' top pairing next to Adam Fox, and he's like the perfect complement for a player like Fox, which, not that Fox and McAvoy are the same kind of players or not, but you're like, you look at that and you're like, oh, Lindgren would also make a really nice compliment for Charlie McAvoy, wouldn't yeah. he? Like, Well, and to be fair, like, when the Bruins made that trade, you, you still had, um, Miller, McQuaid, Krug, and Chara. So you had four veterans, and then the up and comers were McAvoy, Carlo, and Grizzlick. So like they and and you know they had they still had Zaboral in the system. So like they and probably, you just drafted Vakaninen, who you were much higher on then than you yeah, probably are exactly. now. So it's it's what it is. It just it just sucks how sometimes it's like oh, come on. But um, but I think I mentioned this before. But the first time the Bruins had, I think it was the first time they played Lingren after he got traded away. And he was like, someone was starting crap with him. He was starting crap with the Bruins. And Brad Marchand said after the game, I don't think he's going to be around long, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, it was like an unbelievable trash talk put down moment. Yeah. And like, I've thought every time since then that I watched Lingard, I'm like, I wonder if he just like plastered that in his locker. Like, yeah. looked at it every day. Yeah. Because like, it's this trash talk and there's all that, but like, rarely do you hear someone say, like, He's not even going to be in the NHL. Like, who cares? Yeah, I mean, that kid's a gamer. I mean, he really is. Not, none of his skills are, are um, standout-ish except for his, his, his work ethic, and that just goes to show what that can do for you. Did you want to pivot up front, or did you want to go expansion? All right, uh, so do we want to get into two expansion drafts since I kind of just brought that up? But the the deadline to submit list is, is Saturday, and then the expansion draft itself is is the 21st. Just we'll very briefly like go over the rules that they're all on NHL.com if you want to like read all the details. But basically, the Bruins and every other team can protect either seven forwards, three defensemen, and one goalie, or eight skaters of any kind and a goalie. And for the Bruins, most of it is fairly straightforward. On defense, they're going to project protect McAvoy, Grizzly, Carlo. The goalie who will be protected is Vladar because Rask and Halak are free agents who don't need to be protected. Swayman is not eligible for the draft because he's a first-year pro. So that's straightforward. Uh, up front, they'll obviously protect their entire top line, Marshan, Bergeron, Pasternak. 
they have to protect protect Coil unless they had asked him to waive his no move clause, which they didn't. They already would have had to have done that. So he's protected. I think Craig Smith has certainly played his way into protection. Uh, you're not going to lose him after one year. So that's five. So that gives them two more. And it basically comes down to DeBrusque, Frederick, Ritchie. And one of them is going to have to be exposed. Um, on defense, that's going to leave Lozon, Zaboral, and Clifton all exposed. So I don't know what you guys think, but I lean towards protecting DeBrusque and Frederick and leaving Ritchie exposed because I think DeBrusque and Frederick still have some value. Frederick, you're hoping, will still develop into something more. DeBrusque, even if you're trying to move him this offseason, uh, you're trying to get something in return. Like, you're not at – I don't think – You can still get value out of him. Yeah. I don't think you can give up on DeBrusque so much that you're okay with losing him for nothing to the to the crack. And, like, I don't think that would be good asset management at all. So, unless you work out a trade where they give you something for him, which probably won't happen, I think you're going to protect him. And they're probably not going to take Richie anyways because they can find depth scoring from one of these 30 teams um, or 29 or whatever it is because uh, Vegas doesn't have to expose anyone. Um they can find depth scoring cheaper than Nick Ritchie. So that's what I would do. I don't know if you guys have well, any other thoughts. I just have a question. We'll all answer it. Of the of the six players you listed as Bruins that are most likely to be exposed that could get picked, DeBrusque, Frederick, Ritchie, Lozon, Saboral, and Clifton, which one do you think the Bruins would would prefer them to take and and why? I think the Bruins would prefer that Seattle takes Clifton. Um, I agree with everything Scott just said, even right down to the personnel he decided. I, um, and for the same reasons. Like I think I think Richie all in all had a better year than DeBrusque and Frederick. Definitely. Um but if it basically comes down to this. If if I have to give away DeBrusque, Frederick and or Richie for free, which one am I okay with giving away for free? It would be Richie. Because for the same reason Scott said, like DeBrusque, I'm not giving a former first round pick who has scored 25-plus goals in this league despite having a really bad last calendar year, for nothing. Like, get something for him if you can't um, resurrect his career with you. Frederick, same thing. I mean, he's he's young, he's got value. So, uh, But I also don't think that Seattle would take Richie. So I, th- I think they would take one of the defensemen. And if it's between uh, Clifton, Zaboral, and uh, Lozon. Oh, um, I would let them take Clifton just because I think he's the oldest of the three. So. Yeah, which is why Seattle might not and might opt for Lozon instead. Because right. I, I think watching them play this season, like I think Clifton was better and more consistent than Lozon. But if you could very easily argue that Lozon still has the higher upside, uh, you know, I think Clifton basically is what he is. Like he's a sixth, seventh defenseman who you plug in on your third pairing, you can play either side, and he's solid. Uh, Lozon think- could still potentially be a top four defenseman. I personally don't think he's going to get there, but you could talk yourself into it. And I was talking to Scott about this before uh, the podcast started, which is that we don't know what they're going to need at this point. So so if you need you know, that extra guy like Clifton, who you know can come in reliably and fill in, it, but not necessarily be in your top four, uh, then he's perfect. 
right? But if you are actually trying to build a defense and you don't have any better options for, for people, you might take the risk on Lausanne and just, just really hope that he could be that top four guy for you. And cause you're not going to be, if you really are desperate to build your D you, you're going to want that young guy that has a lot more upside than Clifton. So it depends if they've already got their mindset on some other defenseman and they're needing to fill out, you know, the last few spots or, or like the seventh, player spot the seventh spot or if you really need to it's thin and they need to just take this risk on those on yeah I mean like I said I, I think um it, it, if it was who do I prefer Seattle takes Clifton I think that they will take Lausanne unless they didn't protect De, uh DeBrusque in which case he's going out west to Seattle um yep. 100% so yeah I think we're all kind of in a, you know agreement on on that yeah so We'll find a. I think they and I don't remember how it worked with Vegas, but I think they have to. I think they do publicly announce the protection list. So we'll probably find that out Saturday at some point, and then the Kraken get you know whatever four days to go through everyone's rosters and figure out what their team's going to be, and that gets announced Wednesday night at eight mm-hmm. o'clock. Uh, I did want to throw a question to you guys quickly, um, and we didn't discuss this before, so it's an addition to. Uh, but so just give me a quick response on it. Uh, after the season ended, I think Billy Jaffe or Raycroft uh, broke that. Um, don't be surprised if Swayman starts the year in Providence. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I hate that idea. I understand it. Give him the number one job and and, and time to be a pro. Um, yeah, let him do that in Boston. I'm sorry, but do you guys have any uh, altering takes to that? Like, the, there's basically saying bring in a veteran until Rask comes back, and you know. Like, don't give it to Swayman. Let him learn in Providence. I mean, the Bruins' goaltending situation is is very, very odd. So, like, they have a lot of good goalies that, at least last season, and we expect them to bring back Tuka Rask, I, I guess, at this point, um, or some other veteran. But I don't see why Swayman would be starting in, in Providence. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I, I would think that he would at least be the backup. They're going to – I mean, Tuka and Halak are both free agents. They're not – both coming back so wouldn't you want your for sure wouldn't you want your backup to be Swayman or are they saying they they the biggest reason is to just get him more time but wouldn't you want more time in the pros like he's yeah Yeah, he's clearly not an AHL player yeah and there's gonna be more time because Rask isn't gonna play until January February the only way I could possibly see it make sense is if the Bruins decided they want a clean break from Rask where they're done with him and they're going to go out and get some other veteran goalie because I don't mind going Swayman and Vladar and then bringing Rask back in Jan- or at least having the chance to bring Rask back in January, February. I would be somewhat worried if you said the plan is Swayman and Vladar all year long and there's no other veteran around. Like, that would be. S- but I would even be a still, little bit worried the, about that. Even still, the veteran would be supplementary to Swayman, well, well, not the other well, way around. So here's what I was going to get at. The way I could see Swayman starting in Providence is if you get a veteran goalie that you're okay with being essentially your 1A, who you think is good enough to be that, and then Vladar is like your 2, and Swayman plays every day just about in Providence. And the reason you would do that is because Vladar is going to have to clear waivers at the beginning of next season to go down, so you would risk losing him, having someone scoop him up if Mm. you want him to be your AHL goalie. So if it's some sort of short-term technicality reason, then if it's gamesmanship, then fine. But if like they genuinely want him to go down and be the man in Providence, like 
I, I hate that idea. Like he's yeah, not. He's, he's gonna not, he's gonna go like six and zero with a well, zero point five four goals against average well, again. They're gonna be like gonna destroy the uh, AHL. You know what? I think he's ready. <laughs> People bring up like. Carter Hart in Philly, and it's like you don't want to, you know, expose somebody too young and ruin their psyche. It's like, first of all, Boston's not Philly, okay? Like the Bruins' defensive structure as an organization has been there for True. going on twelve years now, and like it's he's not eighteen. Swayman's like twenty two, three. He's like you know, I mean that's he's that's not that for fragile. Us old people, right? I mean I don't <laughs> and, know. It's just, he's and also bringing this full circle. Please improve your defense scores. Like you do that, then it's even better for him. So right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, was there anything else before we uh, speak to Chris? No, I think let's uh, take a quick little ad break here, and uh, then we'll be back and talk some NHL draft with Chris Peters. All right, we are now welcoming in Chris Peters to enlighten us on some NHL draft coverage and conversations. Uh, obviously, myself, Brian DeFleese, Bridget Pruce, Scott McLaughlin. Uh, Chris, how are you today? Thanks for coming on. I'm doing real well. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be with you. Yeah, Chris, we... Uh have kind of forgotten what a first round of an NHL draft is like around here since uh, <laughs> the Bruins have a first round pick for only the second time in the last four years. And that's assuming they don't trade it between now and next week. Uh, but looking at, at this draft class with the Bruins having the 20th overall pick, what kind of draft is this? Is this a, a, a good draft or do the Bruins kind of have a first round pick in a, in a weaker draft? Yeah. You know, it's, I would say it's a below average draft. Um, I don't want to say it's, yeah, I don't want to say it's a poor draft. I think that um, it's not an incredibly exciting draft class. I think it thins out a little further, a little closer to the top. But what I will say is that's not necessarily a widely held opinion because I think that most of, most of the teams are still kind of curious about what these players eventually are going to be. We, you know, we, we had a lot of players that either played limited seasons or no seasons. Most of the guys that are going to go in the first round played a full season or close to it, or at least enough of a, enough games for, for teams to get a feel for what they are. Um, but, you know, it, it's been a tough year to, to, to not get a lot of live views in. I think that that has impacted how we view this draft class. A lot of the scouting has been done over video. Um, especially, you know, for Canadian-based scouts. They didn't get a chance to get out too many games unless they were in Quebec or in Western Canada. So, you know, there's a lot of a lot of things that, you know, have, have kind of led to this draft being viewed as maybe not the strongest. But what I will say is, is there's not a lot of consensus, which means that there is a chance for teams that are further down in the first round and even into the second round to get value. You know, if they've done enough digging and get enough, did enough work and – and I think that most teams have, and they've used everything at their disposal in this unique season. The teams that invested most in that are going to have some success this year, whereas others that maybe didn't uh, could could leave a little something on the table. So that really helps those teams that, that really did do uh, the extra work and invested quite a lot into this year. Yeah, so we know that the, the Bruins prospect pool is generally ranked among the weaker ones in the NHL. And they also don't have a second-round pick. They traded for Taylor Hall, which, you know, hey, great value. Like, no one's complaining about that. Uh, but it kind of makes this first-round pick even more important because they don't have another pick after that until the third. And they really need to, like, add a blue-chip prospect to their system, you know, someone that they can really bank on doing something for them down the line. So, I mean, can they find that player at 20? Do, do you think, like, that kind of blue-chip prospect is there? Or are we looking at 
you know, maybe more of like a depth player type prospect. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously not knowing. I think we have a pretty good idea who the top 10 players or top 12 players are are in this draft. I think beyond that, it starts to become a little bit more, uh, a little bit murkier. And so with that, there is the chance that certain players that maybe somebody like myself might value more highly could slip through. And I think there is one guy that I wanted to mention as a potential slider in this draft because I, the more digging that I've done in the last few weeks since I put out my own uh, final draft rankings on, on Hockey Sense was the basically that, that Fabian Lassell is a guy that is incredibly exciting on paper and on video. Um, he's got some great skill. He has uh, he's one of the best skaters in a very weak skating draft. He's not the biggest guy, um, but he's he's murderous in transition. I mean, just really backs defenders down, makes a lot of plays with pace. Um, you know, I think there has been some questions about maybe his shift-to-shift competitiveness and whether or not he's willing to do some of the dirty work that you have to do at the NHL level to create offense because they can't, can't all just get the puck and go all the time. Uh, you do have to do some work to get it. I think that he's a guy that is has enough offensive upside, but has enough concerns about size and maybe toughness and things like that. If he could slip into the twenties and then all of a sudden you have a decision to make there. Now there could be other players there and it depends on kind of what you want. There should be some defensemen available, maybe a Carson Lambos or a Corson Kuhleman. Um, you know, those are the types of players that could be there. And if you can get one of those kinds of players, you do have a chance to get a, what, what could turn into a blue chip prospect because these are guys that either, you know, in Lambos' case, he was injured for most of the season, um, didn't play very much, and played partially in Finland. Um, and then, you know, Kuhleman barely played at all this year because he was playing the Alberta Junior League. Um, he is going to the University of Wisconsin next year. So, you know, he's a guy that has a lot of development runway himself and is one of the better skating defensemen in the draft and has good size. So, there's a lot of different things that you can look at at 20 that I think will actually give you some good value. So I think the Bruins are actually, and, and I guess technically it's 21 because of the, the fake uh, Coyotes pick that doesn't exist um, anymore. You know, like that, they should have good value there um, among the players that, that I could foresee slipping at least a little bit. Chris, are you a advocate for drafting the best player available or drafting for need? Because, I mean, personally, I feel like center ice is where the Bruins need to start restocking first and foremost. But, you know, if, if the best player available is a uh, defenseman, what's your what's your thought on that? Yeah, I think you do try to take the best player available, but I think you're going to go with, you know, best fit. And the way that teams structure their boards is going to be different team to team. So, you know, as we see in, in football, the best player available that we, you know, like we all think is, is the best player might not go because, of positional needs. Well, in hockey, it's almost never the case, but there's so, such variance in the way that teams set up their list, and especially this year, that you know I think you're looking more for not only the players that give you the most value in that slot, and you as you're structuring your list, but you're you know especially at the very top of your list, you want guys that you feel are good organizational fits, and that I think positional need comes into play when you're doing that valuation. So um, that's the thing where. I think we sometimes get a little bit lost in that is that we don't know how teams are putting positions 
you know, like the goaltenders in this draft, if anybody believes that they're number one goaltenders, they're going to put them higher on their list than if they, you know, if they don't believe that. So, you know, if they, and if they think that they need a number one goaltender, they'll be higher on their list than they would on a team that maybe doesn't, isn't looking for that. So I think that the, the best player available often has some elements of positional need in it built into the way that the team structured the list. But in short, Yes, I think always try to take the best player available um, that, that, you know, just go off of your list and try not to stick around too much because you put all the time into that list. So take the best player that's on that list. That must have been what Sweeney was doing in 2015 when he saw Zaboral and DeBrusque and Senesh in there. Well, yeah. The Bruins are still paying for yeah. <laughs> Yes, they are. <laughs> yes, they are. Uh, so I have a question, Chris. So yes. in your – in one of your uh, mock drafts, you have the Bruins adding Corson Kuhlmans. Um, what about him would make him a good fit in Boston? And like you mentioned before, a little bit about him, that he's going to be heading off to Wisconsin. What would be the timetable on them being able to use him in the pros? He, for, yeah, well, let me jump in. He's he's a fit because his name sounds like Carson Kuhlman. I, it, I, it sounds exactly like it. And anyway, <laughs> yes, Corson Kuhlmans. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if you can have a if you can have a Carson Kuhlman and a Corson Kuhlmans, I think you're going to feel, you know, pretty confident on on the on at least alliteration. So that's great. I love to hear Jack um, Edwards play by play on the, with those twenty. Yeah, yeah. Ones. I mean, you, <laughs> exactly. That should be that should be fun. But I think you know the reason I had him there is it was just kind of the way that my board was falling, and and I still think that there are a lot of teams that that view Kuhlmans in that fifteen to twenty five range. Like yeah, I think that's kind of a the range he could go in, and um, you know, I think the the Bruins have often looked at those, you know, those guys, those college guys, the Trent Fredericks and, and uh, you know Matt Grizzlicks and, and people of that nature, where you know you, you get a guy that you feel can develop some some time. Um, obviously, they have Mason Laurie, who is a different, you know, kind of a different player, um, very offensively gifted, has to Ohio State this year. Um, so, you know, he's in the system already, but just to me, Kuhlman's made sense because of that best player available mentality of, you know, here's a guy that kind of fits a profile with, you know, he's got offensive ability. He's got high upside. I think his offensive skills are, are pretty good for a player of his size and, and, uh, and to have the skating that he does, I think that helps you as a team. Um, so, you know, I think he's a pretty well-rounded player that's only going to get better at, at Wisconsin where they've done such a good job of developing defensemen like, Andre Miller, who's playing for the New York Rangers now. Um, so, you know, I think that that's, that's an area where you can improve. And, and you know, I'll, I'll be doing another mock draft, and it may very well change in the, in the next as I continue to report things and try to, try to dig and find out more at least uh, about what, what at least teams are thinking. But at, at the time, he seemed like a, a decent fit. And I, I could totally see them looking at players like centers that if they're available – uh, that they could potentially go after in that range as well. Cause that is that is a range where I think you'll see some centers slip too. Yeah, I think uh, n- name similarity aside, Kuhlman's is one of the the players that, like you know, as I do my own research, which I admit is not nearly as extensive as yours, uh, that I've I've liked. And another one that I've really fallen in love with is Matthew Coronado, who has put up monster numbers in the USHL this season. Is heading to Harvard a next Harvard season. Harvard guy, he's a Harvard guy, and. <laughs> I feel like just a few weeks ago, it seemed to me like there was a chance that maybe he'd get to 20. And now, as more and more stuff comes out, that's looking less and less likely. I don't know if he's 
rising or, or just, you know, more of a consensus is forming around him. But is there any chance he's there at 20 or do you think he's gone, you know, four, five, six picks ahead of that? You know, I, I think there's a, there's a chance. I don't think it's a great chance, but I do think there's a chance. And, and you know, I think one of the biggest things about Coronado that, that everybody's going to look at is, is his production. I mean, he, he scored 48 goals this year in the regular season. Um, and I think it was, I think it was 50, gosh, I can't think of the exact number now when you combine his, his, his regular season and, and, and postseason stats. And it's just a ridiculous figure for the USHL. We're not used to seeing guys score goals at that level. Um, and he's, I mean, it was a breakout season. I don't think anybody saw this kind of production coming from him, even though everybody expected Chicago to compete for, uh, the Clark Cup, which they eventually won. But, I think there's a chance he's there. He's not, you know, necessarily has doesn't have a dynamic skill set for a guy that scores as much as he does. Just seems to get to the right areas. Very intelligent player. Um, you know, has some power in his game. I think he'd be a good fit for the Bruins. You know, I think he's a guy that you know, played in the USHL where it can be a very difficult league to score in, and he just found ways to score. And wasn't always the skill play. He does have a good shot. You know, good off the pass. Good. Uh, you know. Make, makes plays, um, and you know the fact that he is going to Harvard certainly doesn't hurt because he he needs more work and he needs to. He probably has a few years ahead of him yet. And usually, guys that go to Harvard, you know, you're expecting them to stay two to three years. Um, so that's that's a possibility there where he's he's not going to be around for a bit. So he's not certainly not going to help you in the near future. But I don't think many of the players that you're going to draft in that range in 2021 um, it, are, are going to be the guys that you know, make an immediate impact anyway. So I think for for them, for, for him, the the reason that he could be available is I still think there is some marginal, um, not necessarily anti-USHL, but I think there's some caution towards USHL players sometimes. Uh, I think this year we're going to see quite a few USHL guys go. Um, but for whatever reason, you know, I think we've, we've seen that where guys have slipped Kyle Connor. Uh, sorry to bring that one up, Bruins fans, but Kyle Connor is a guy who, I think had a little bit of anti-USHL uh, bias in, in his uh, in his not being picked, and maybe maybe if, if Matt Coronado's there, uh, you know the Bruins will, will have some some <laughs> some memories of of what happened when uh, they didn't go after some of the the better offensive players. But uh, but I do think that Coronado's numbers are legit. I think that he was one of the best players in the league this year, and certainly if he's available at twenty, that would be an easy pick for the Bruins to make. I think. To translate that, he, Chris is saying he's too good for the Bruins to get at twenty, but he doesn't want to crush your dreams, Scott. Scott. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Yeah, exactly. I'm not. I'm not here to crush dreams. I'm here to provide hope until it's snatched away on draft night, which it will be. Uh, yeah, right. Chris, I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Um, so Tampa Bay, they won back-to-back titles, and Stamkos and Hedman and uh, Vasilevsky were first rounders, respectively, in their drafts. But um, their top six. Uh, aside from Stamkos, we're all second round and later. Uh, Kucherov, Stamk- uh, Point, Sorelli, Palat, Kalorn. So my question to you is this. Who do you think, if you could pick maybe a player or two to keep an eye on, might be falling this year in the upcoming draft that could be a great, a great way Buffalo for some teams and they will look back and say, yeah, we could have had that guy, but he fell and we didn't we didn't grab him. Because, I mean... In retrospect, looking at Kucherov and Point, these guys are some of the best players in the in the world. And to think that they fell outside their respective first rounds and even sometimes second round is mind blowing to me. So, are there any players? I know you said the draft isn't the deepest this year, but maybe uh, could fall outside the first round. 
Yeah, you know, if I if I knew, then I, I probably would be like running every NHL team in, in in the league right now. If I if I could do that, like uh, like the Lightning always seem to do, but I, I will give you. I think that one thing that is notable about those players, um, you know, they're, they they certainly had different. They weren't valued necessarily for whatever reason in their draft year. So you know, I think with point it was size and skating. Um, with Kucherov, it was, will he come over to North America? We don't really know. I, I think at that point, there wasn't a real good feel for how to judge production at the MHL level, um, the, the Russian U-20 league, which now we have a much better feel for in terms of you know, how to contextualize production in that league where he absolutely destroyed it, um, even as a U-17. Um, so, you know, we, we you, you find guys like that that, you know, you, you have – that have some sort of flaw. So I think one of the guys that's like that for me in this draft, who I think will go lower, I actually have him pretty high on my list, but I I am certain he's not going to go as high as I have him. But um, one of the guys I really like is is a Russian named Prohor Poltipov, who's kind of undersized, about 5'11", 5'10", needs to gain strength and needs to improve his skating some. But he was one of the most productive U18 players in that Russian U20 league this year. Very good hand skills, very competitive player. I think as he gets stronger, he's going to win more puck battles. He's going to win more opportunities. And that's going to allow him to have more success at the next level. I think that his hand skills are such that, you know, they're among the best in the in this draft class, in, especially when he's, you know, facing down defenders one-on-one. He, he you know, I was at the World Racing Championship this year, and Pultipov was toe-dragging guys. He was making all these plays, and... He's got a good shot, and, and he put up big numbers this year. So I, I think that that's a guy, for whatever reason, you know, I think most of the things that he does is first-round bubble, but certainly not the skating and, and maybe not the size. Uh, but those are – I think that's a guy that will be undervalued on draft day that will make it and and be a pretty decent player. Well, it's interesting you say that because, I mean, obviously you, you look at – you know, top ten picks, and so oftentimes, like they're obviously hits and they're easy picks, right? They, if just if you're a GM, you take who falls to you. But you know, those players we mentioned on Tampa, you look in uh, Boston and Marshan and Krejci and Bergeron. None of these guys are first rounders, and I just think it's such a it's so important with drafting and developing, and uh, it's no fluke in Tampa. It, it was it wasn't just luck, and I think it'll be very interesting to see if uh, Steve Eisman can try to emulate that in Detroit as well. But um, yeah, so. Uh, Interesting. Uh, Bridget, you wrote down that name, right, so we can check that out later? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got it. We okay, got it. Oh, so, good. <laughs> actually, uh, another player I wanted to ask about, because uh, I'm looking at your, your latest rankings on Hockey Sense. Uh, we're talking to Chris Peters, and people can and should subscribe to Hockey Sense if you like draft coverage, prospects, anything like that, because uh, Chris is the best. Um, so you, you have Pultipov 32 in your latest rankings, and right behind him uh, you have a player I'm really interested in, Zachary LaRue, uh, who – People who don't know his story is, I think it's safe to say he would go much higher if it weren't for the fact that he was suspended multiple times this past season, including once for spitting on an opponent. Uh, so there were like major discipline issues there. Is that a player who, you know, could end up being a steal because he slips for those reasons? And if he cleans that up, you know, like where would he, where would he be going without those issues? Probably in the top 15. I mean, really, I think that that's, he has that level of skill. He has that, that ability. Um, 
you know, I think that he's not so elite in the skill level that, you know, you can overlook what happened this year and the maturity and disciplinary issues. And I think that so teams like the fact that he plays physical. They like the fact that he has the skill that he does and that there's a, there's a work ethic and, and that, that, you know, his compete it can go in and out sometimes when, depending on how a game is going, he can get frustrated and, and, and kind of lose, lose it a little bit. But I think that for him, um, yeah, I mean, like the skill level, the shot, passing ability, vision, all real strong. Um, and if he does end up like that, basically I – you know, that ranking that I have there, it's 33, right? So it's right outside the first round. And it's essentially me saying that I think he's really good, but not, I would not take the risk in the first round. Um, and then I felt the same way about, um, you know, a couple of years ago, Ryan Merkley was a very polarizing prospect. You know, some people, I had him kind of as a second round, late second round guy. The Sharks took him in the first round. They took a chance. Um, I'm still not sure if that's going to pan out for them because I think that a lot of the issues that were there, but there were on ice issues in addition to, to other things in terms of character and, and what, you know, what was said about him uh, by teammates and former coaches and things like that. So uh, I think LaRue is, it has to really, you know, if there was a combine this year, everybody would have been asking him questions about how his interviews went. And I'm sure that he would have been grilled. And I'm sure that over zoom interviews that he's done with teams, he's been really grilled by it. And if you feel comfortable enough, about your team, uh, you know, and it's certainly if you're the Bruins, you know, and, and you have such a team culture and identity that, that's there with good leadership and good veterans that, that take people under their wings and are willing to, you know, work with players, then that might be a situation that you, you look to and, and say you have success. That's exactly what the San Jose Sharks said when they drafted Ryan Merkley. But as we now know, years later, most, many of the players that were there creating that structure and leadership are gone. So, um, that's what happens when you draft players is the players that are on your current team aren't there to be there to, to shepherd them into the next, you know, whatever. I'm sure if you're a Bruins fan, you're hoping that, that Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand and, and all of them never retire. Uh, but as we know, time remains undefeated. We still have time with them, thankfully. But either way, I, I think that that's a, that's a big risk to take um, with, with such a valuable commodity such as a first-round pick. The, the last specific player I wanted to ask you about is someone you have ranked right right in the range where the Bruins are picking. Uh, you have him 21st, and that's Atu Rati, and I apologize for my finish because that's probably not how you're supposed to say it. Um, but this this is a player who at one point was considered like in contention for being the top prospect in this class, you know, whatever, a year or two ago. Uh had a really poor season, and I think you even mentioned like he's one of the most polarizing in this class. How how far has he slipped? And if you're if say the Bruins were to take him at twenty, is that like steal territory or is that risk territory based on kind of how poor of a season he had this past year? Yeah, I'd say I'd say it's right on the borderline. And just to, just to help you out with your finishes, Atu Ratu. Okay, so uh, which is which rhymes. So that's nice. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but Ratu is a really interesting player because he was on Finland's U20 team at the World Juniors the well, last time we had an in-person World Juniors in 2020, I guess, was like one of the last big events before everything stopped. But 
you know, the World Juniors in 2020, he was on Finland's team, and he was a he was a, a contributing player. He didn't have a ton of points, he, you know, but he, he he helped them in that tournament. He had three points in seven games, and they, you know, they I believe they took the bronze medal, or yeah, they were in the bronze medal game. So, um, so yeah, so that was, you know, he was a good player there. Didn't make the team this year because not only what did he not perform when he was playing on the pro team at Carpet, he was also uh, he, he also. Uh, didn't play well when he was at the U-20s. Like, he, he played fine, but he didn't dominate the games. And I think that, that was a real concern. It was like, how does this guy get it going? Um, the skating is, is a, can be a little funky. I think that he does have some skill, but it's not necessarily a dynamic. I think one of the things that kind of intrigued most of us about his overall skill package was partially, you know, due to his size, the fact that he was a center, that, that he had two-way, some two-way capabilities. I don't think we necessarily saw that enough this year. And only had he only up, ended up having six points in in Liga and in, in the in the pro league. He had four in twelve games last year. He played thirty five games this year. So you know, there's a lot of concern. I would say, you know, I obviously if, if the Bruins are there and and all the players that I have ranked ahead of Ratu are gone, then twenty one makes sense for me. You know, because that would be the best player available for me. But I'm pretty sure that I'll have players on my list that are still available there that will be you know better fits overall. But the fact that he is a center, the fact that he does have some pedigree and that scouts don't forget the, the full body of work. And if there is a level of comfort that this was maybe a confidence issue, a focus issue, something that can be corrected, um, you know, by just working things out or maybe some maturity thing, then I think you'll, you'll see teams make that selection. But I think there is a large amount of wariness about where he ultimately should go. It would not completely shock me if he fell out of the first round. I've just, you know, I've seen the full body of work, and I know what he looks like when he's at his best. And what he's at his best, he's better than a lot of the players in this draft, but we haven't seen it in about a year. So that's the thing that really does concern me about Ratu is that, you know, it, does he ever get to that level? Is he a guy that just bloomed early? Um, that's what I can't quite figure out. But... I still felt like overall body of work and the relative weakness of the class, that's a guy that I would at least be willing to take a chance on. And there's risk with any guy you're going to take in this range. But, you know, he's one that I think you, you definitely go in eyes wide open that, that there's a lot of work to be done there. Chris, one final question for me, and uh, I'd like to backtrack a little bit. Um, for the Bruins specifically, Bergeron and Krejci, uh, you know, they're obviously – on their way out soon, they still have good years left, but the future of the center ice position for Boston, um, based off of their recent draft picks, um, we've seen a little bit of Jack Stanika um, to assess him ourselves, um, but we haven't seen John Beecher. So uh, how would you say, after seeing a little bit of Stanika at the pro level and in Providence as well, and then uh, Beecher's time at Michigan, if you had to give a, a guess about how their careers, what their ceilings might play out um, for the Bruins, if you could enlighten us on that for Bruins fans that haven't seen Beecher at Michigan or um, Stanika at center with the Bruins specifically. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, Stanika to me is a guy that I've, uh, I've been reasonably high on, you know, since since he really kind of took off in his, in his junior career. It's been, it's been more post-draft. I mean, he's been a better player in the years since the Bruins took him and, and uh, you know, made that, has, made, has made that pick look better over the years, you know, he's got speed, he's got great competitiveness, he can make plays. And, you know, this year, 
seeing them at the NHL level, you know, there's still work to be done to be able to, you know, does he have necessarily the hockey sense, the high-end hockey sense to be able to, to make the plays that he was making in junior at, at the pro level. I still think there's, there's time for him to get there. Um, and certainly a guy of his speed can be such a weapon. So I, I have a lot of time for him. Um, I, and I, I still think that he's one of the top guys in the Bruins system that, you know, will help them you know, remain competitive as he kind of rounds out into his game. Uh, as for John Beecher, it was a weird year for him, really tough year, dealt with injury. Um, you know, Michigan, he, he, there was a positive COVID test that cost him a shot at the World Juniors. Um, you know, so that was really tough for him, um, you know, to, to go through that. I think the thing with, with Beecher that we, you know, we just didn't get a chance to really see him this, this year. Uh, I don't know necessarily that positive test if that would have meant, you know, if he would have ultimately made the team or not because it was a much more competitive year than it was the year before at forward. But, you know, he, he averaged about half a point per game for Michigan for one, in the games that he was healthy for. I think that this is a huge year for him where he needs to, one, be a leader on that team because they're going to be very young. They're going to have potentially, you know, if, if Owen Power and Matty Beneers, who could go in the NHL, if they both come back, you're looking at a potential national title contender with Beecher playing a key role as a, as a junior on that team. He's an he's an incredible skater, one of the best athletes right now. Just the way that he moves, his strength, his physicality. I think the hockey sense remains the biggest concern. Does he have the ability to put it all together to be in that incredible physical package? Can he take the next steps necessary to finish more plays, to be, be a more consistent scorer, to, to be able to see the ice better, to have better vision? That's a, that's a big leap for any player, um, especially one that's now heading into their third season of college hockey. So I think this is a really – this is a, a show-me year for John Beecher. I think the player has a real opportunity if he can put it together because he is such a rare commodity with his size and speed. Um, I, I, I really hope that he does take that step this year, but we're going to need to see it before we can say it's you know, realistic. So I, I, I say I'm a little lukewarm on him. I, it wasn't necessarily a huge fan of the pick at the time just because of these, these same concerns were, were evident then in terms of the hockey sense and, and the overall skill level. But I do think that there is room for him to grow and to find a role. Will it be a, a top six guy? I highly doubt it. Could he be a, a good depth player on an NHL roster, I, I do think that that is a possibility for him. So um, that might not be what Bruins fans want to hear, but I think ultimately when you go to the draft, if you can come out of there with uh, multiple NHL players in a single draft, then you've done pretty well for yourself, even if they don't necessarily live up to the slot value that you took them at. So I uh, still believe that Johnny Beecher is on a, a an NHL track. It just might not be at a high level. You kind of hope that those first rounders pan out to be top six or uh, forwards or top four defensemen, though, right? I mean, you do, but I think a late, especially those late first rounders, there's not a ton of difference between them and the guys that you pick in the second round. Um, you know, I, I think that there's not a ton of difference there, and in the, as you get towards that late first round, you're less and less likely to find top six forwards and top four defensemen. You're 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 all you're almost lucky if you find an everyday NHL player. Um, that's just the way the draft value works and the draft goes. So we always think that all of these guys are going to be high, high-end guys. And Beecher's draft here was a very deep 
talented draft year. So there was value left on the board by taking him in terms of guys that had more offensive potential. Um, but if, you know, if you come out of that with a player that's on your everyday roster, and especially one that maybe not, might not be that expensive um, over time, then you might not be putting up the number of points that you pay for. Um, that's still, I think, a good enough thing for your scouting staff to say, hey, we, we have somebody that contributes to our everyday roster. Um, is it, you know, you, you hope everybody you drop turns out to be a star, but we just know that's, that's not going to happen. And, of course, the, the Bruins once kind of accidentally admitted that they drafted Trent Frederick in the first round to be a third liner. Never mind that Alex Dabrinkit was still on the board. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I guess I'm being a little hard with that comment. It, it's just that you look at Frederick as a first rounder, and then obviously they, I mean, they reach to the to the moon on Seneshin, and it's just, he... he it's Your just, favorite. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, you know, to, to to have a few forwards not be top six is fine in the first round, but it just seems like, they always never seem to be in the top six. I mean, the right, last, right. last well, forward was, was Pasternak, but he fell to them, obviously. Right, yeah, and that's, yeah, you, you feel you feel fortunate in those those situations. But, yeah, and I think that the fact is when it, when it starts compounding, when it's draft after draft, that's when it does become a problem. You know, that's when, like, I think in, in Johnny Beecher's specific case, you know, if you get an NHL player, you feel all right. But, yeah, there are going to be better players. There are going to be guys that are better that were picked after him. I mean, they're they're – I think, you know, Arthur Kaliev has already played NHL games and he went after Beecher did. So, right. you know, I, I think that that's going to be, um, if, if it continues to happen, then yes, then you're in the, then you're in the position that the Bruins are in right now um, where, where you say, okay, well, we don't have the next top six guy to come in. I think the thing that has made Tampa so successful and the reason that they hit on those mid-round picks that we talked about earlier is they seem to have a type. It's undersized, you know, and, and but but with that, that can skate a bit, that also put up big numbers too. They those guys, most of those guys, Sorelli, um, even you look at Ross Colton who scored the game-winning goal. All those guys put up big numbers in their draft year or good numbers in their draft year, and they were more, you know. So, but but for whatever reason, they weren't viewed as a top-level player. So, those are the kinds of guys that you look to take bets on. They all kind of fit a very similar archetype. Um, Alex Horn is one that doesn't, but he was part of a, a previous regime's scouting department. So, but the rest of those guys kind of fit into that same mold. Matthew Joseph, I mean, so many different guys where they, they play with pace and, and, and they have a, a type. And those guys always seem to be coming through a revolving door through their AHL system as they're constantly developing. So, um, yeah, it's, it's not easy to do, but I think that's an example of how you stay competitive while also building from, you know, building for a, for a sustainable future as well with, with these, uh, man, that sounded very uh, political there, but, but, you know, you're building for uh, building for the future with, with those guys that you're, you're trying to, to stack on top of each other. And, and if you get lucky in the mid rounds as often uh, as, as Tampa has to have those guys be there when they were on their list, um, then that's good too. So what you're saying is the Bruins should have uh, drafted Yamamoto instead of uh Eurovacaninen when they had the chance, the smaller, quicker, skilled play instead of the the safe pick. But you know, actually, he's he's someone we didn't talk about either. He was he's supposed to have you know top four potential too. But that, yeah, yeah, Vacaninen. So yeah, yeah. 
the Bruins. Yeah, I know. It, it, it's interesting. Yeah, and I think that's something that the, the organization has to continue to look at for sure. Well, and it's not easy always drafting. You know, I mean, they're so competitive every year. They're not. They're never having those high picks. I and mean, not since Sagan, and that was obviously via trade. So, like, you know, it's not easy to be in the, the bottom 10 pick every year. But Absolutely. All right. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this was great. Um, again, that's Chris Peters, at Chris M. Peters on Twitter. Uh, subscribe to Hockey Sense on Substack or the newsletter. Um, Chris, can you call? Uh, can you call Donnie and, and tell him about the the Russian kid? That <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll just say, yeah, Don, take this guy, and then uh, that'll be about uh, six hundred thousand dollars, please. Yeah. Well, he's so. not. He's not from Woburn, and he's not <laughs> yeah. going to a hockey East no, school, so they're yeah, not going to yeah. draft him. So yeah, exactly. He doesn't play for the <laughs> South Shore King, so. <laughs> Yeah, not, yeah. Let's see if they take Josh Lapina in the second round. Well, they don't have a second round pick, so they're, they're, you're safe. Right. So maybe he'll be a third rounder. Yeah. Hilarious. All, <laughs> All right. Well, right. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, man. We don't want yeah. to keep you too much longer. Chris, thank you so much. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was really, really a lot of fun. So, so I appreciate it. 